this No, you couldn't handle this Everyone who battled me They fallin' like an avalanche Got them falling back to back Take them all just hand to hand Y'all going home So better pack your bags I'm a heavy hitter Come take a sip of this potion Float like a butterfly I'm floating like the ocean Battle cries and music To my ears I'm the composer Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Chillport Podcast, episode 317. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today to talk to you about video games. We got a busy episode this week, kind of an all-over-the-place episode this week, which is, I think, great in a lot of ways. Um, one is uh, I finished up the Street Fighter Six World Tour mode, um, so I'm just going to kind of go through that and talk about my, uh, essentially do a review of it. Um, uh, I guess my review is Street Fighter Six, but yeah, I I did not play the entirety of Street Fighter Six, but you know the World Tour mode is really what I was interested in, so I want to talk about that mode. Um, in terms of news, we got a new Inti Creates game. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, there's like a My Hero Academia game that I kind of wanted to look at as well. Um, we got another Dragon Quest Champions follow-up. And then finally, um, just as a heads up, if you're new to the podcast and don't know, I mean, we talked about it last week a little bit, but like NFTs are something that we kind of follow on this podcast, not necessarily because I have any interest or faith in them, but because enough Japanese publishers are still following NFTs in a way, or investing in NFTs and things like that in cryptocurrency, that I think it's worth watching what they're doing to see like what their thoughts are and what they are still invested in. Because we talked about it last week, how Sega and um, Square Enix were, were talking about what they're doing with NFTs still. And then also this week we had an, another event that came up and there's some kind of wild stuff. And like, I'm not saying wild stuff and like exciting or anything, there's just some really bizarre things that I want to talk about that happened. And then also uh, Bandai Namco chimed in a little bit on NFTs as well. So I think that's worth looking at as well since Bandai Namco is one of the biggest Japanese publishers. So um, I'm going to put all the NFT stuff at the end just in case you do not care. But there are some crazy things in there. So I do want to talk about that. <laughs> and, and I do think it's worth listening to because uh, there's one particular game that seems kind of crazy and like not... In the ways that, like, seems desperate. <laughs> so, anyways, all that stuff aside, I just think it's uh, I think it's important for us to follow Japanese these big Japanese publishers while they're still investing in this. Because you don't really see, like, a lot of Western developers talking about it that much or publishers talking about it that much, which is perfectly fine. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think, personally, I don't really see a lot of value in NFTs in this current moment. Um, in terms of just, like, I don't see what their use case are and everything. But, you know, I think because Japanese publishers continue to invest in it. I think it's worth at least watching to see what their reasoning is and things like that, right? So anyways, all that aside, I just want to make sure, you know, people aren't here thinking that I'm like, oh yeah, NFTs, games of the future, something like that. It's just, I think that it is currently focused on enough that we need to be looking at it more than we we should normally. So anyways, that's kind of the summary of the show this week. But uh, one thing I did want to talk about before we got too deep is um, I actually did stream last week. I had kind of a um, surprise stream that was very informally set up. I didn't even like. I don't think it's like tagged or anything. I probably need to go back in there and like clean up the post for it. But um, I really wanted to move streams over to the One Control Port Plus channel. The reason being is the One Control Port Plus channel is a channel that I think is just I want to be less formal on that channel. And I think one of the things I want out of streams is to be less formal. And, um, so I would like to have it where I could literally just like turn a stream on and a game be on screen and me have a microphone and that be like, okay. 
Um, and I feel like with the main channel, I have a hard time doing that because of kind of what I present myself as with the feature videos and things like that. So with the OCP Plus channel, which may get renamed, um, I mentioned last week, I might make it a Quillian's box again, but we'll, we'll see if we get to that. I'm, I'm not making any immediate moves on that. Um, the, uh, we played Shanghai The Wall, which is a PCFX game. Or sorry, not Shanghai The Wall. Shanghai Triple Threat, um, which is a PCFX game. So if you want to see me play some Shanghai Triple Threat, which is like Mahjong Solitaire, um, there's a stream where I played that for like an hour or something like that last week on the uh, OCP Plus channel. So um, no scheduled streams still. I, I just don't really have a great vision for what I want streams to be. So at this point, I think just streaming when it makes sense and when it's fun is uh, probably the most important part for just doing streams at this point and doing them regularly, I think will be reliant on that. So that will mean there'll be times where there'll be long periods of time where I don't stream, right? Like it's been a while since the stellar assault stream. And even that stellar assault stream, like I don't necessarily, that wasn't really like planned, planned super well. So um, I did, I did try around with like a little, like if you ever heard, you know, we've talked about VTubers on here before with like the virtual avatars that, you know, typically have tracking and they can, you know, watch people move around and like their anime girl or whatever character moves around on screen. Um, I didn't do anything like that, but I did do a, something that typically gets called like PNG tuber, which basically is just, you kind of take um, a couple pictures and then when there's vocals going through it switches between you know opening the mouth or closing the mouth basically and then also the, like various effects you can apply to your your png so i took some like uh Irastoya, um character art and uh and just made like a little old man uh stream <laughs> which i mean it was way more investment of time than i probably should have done but you know it, whatever it's fine i made a little little house for a little old man and he had like a little black and white photo of him and his wife or whatever. So <laughs> it was a good time. Uh, I don't expect that to be the common, uh, you know, use like like stream layout or anything like that. So don't don't expect that for every stream. I'm not saying I'll never use the old man again or have something similar to the old man. Just don't expect that for every stream or something like that. So anyways, that happened. Anyways, double double the anyways. Street Fighter Six. Is a video game. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I really just focus on the world tour mode. So, you know, the reality is when it comes to fighting games, I can't really offer like deep commentary. Like, like most of the time, I'm just like, can I Hadouken? Yes or no. So when I looked at like Street Fighter Six initially, um, really the only thing that really jumped out to me is like the world tour mode, because otherwise, you know, Street Fighter just looks like yet another game that I can play, you know, use a Hadouken in or whatever, one of the four other Street Fighter inputs that I know, and, you know, not really learn the game most of the time, right? So, um, this, this world tour mode is really cool though, because it is like a little, um, I guess you could call it like an open world game. I kind of like call it like a mini Yakuza in a lot of ways, where you have this, um, you know, basically like a creative character, not that Yakuza has a creative character, but you have a creative character in this game and you can go around this world and learn different, um, styles and moves from, from various street fighter characters. So you can kind of like build your own fighter and, and they also have like a leveling system that lets you manage, you know, what your punch strength is, your kick strength, your defense strength. And you have to like make choices between, you know, certain stat buffs and, and also like, um, health and things like that. So, and it's all kind of done under this kind of guise of a pretty fun, um, story with, with a rival that you have at the start of the game. And you basically are, are kind of chasing after him because like it's not really like against each other you're actually very friendly in a lot of ways um but he has this like weird thing where he's like i've got some stuff i got to take care of and it is unrelated to you so goodbye 
I'm going to go do this thing instead. So he is kind of like a rival character, but he's he's very like friendly with you and he's very likable. His name's Bosch. Um, so, so it's all kind of like built into this guys. So it's not like a big world or anything. Like it's, it's big enough to feel substantial, I will say. So it will feel like you're like walking around uh, a world map and it feels like, you know, it, you can get kind of lost and you'll need to open up your map, um, you know, to find things a lot of times, but you basically have like two of these kind of major hub cities. And then you also have like a bunch of small maps that are based off the actual stages. So these small maps are like, you usually have like five people standing into them in them, but the, the, the main hubs often feel very substantial. Um, it's a real, little weird at first though, because they really restrict you down to like a particular part of the first city in the game. And then they also like introduce you to another part of that city, but they're like completely separated in a lot of ways. So eventually they bring those two, two parts of the city together, but it's just kind of like this weird, um, separated element that, that just makes it feel like the open world aspect of the game doesn't come in for, you know, about like, you know, four or five hours before you get deep in the game. Um, but what they do with this kind of like open world element is they do add some really cool, like, I guess like dungeon style levels in the game. So there's like, sometimes you're like going into a factory or there's like a science lab you need to go into and things like that. And these little dungeons are like fun to explore overall. Um, although I will say they like lack variety a lot of the times. Um, there's just very little change in like the challenges of the world itself. So one thing that you do in this game is as you basically learn uh, or, or become, uh, uh, you know, uh, apprentices of the uh, various Street Fighter characters is you get their abilities on the world map, or at least one of their main abilities, right? So, you know, for like, I think for you, it's like a Shoryuken, so you do uppercut, and then that uppercut lets you get to higher levels. And then for Chun-Li, you have the spinning bird kick, and that lets you like kind of fly across uh, different gaps in the game. And so there's actually quite a few of these different abilities, and some of them overlap as well. But it just feels like the game doesn't really uh, use these, these in interesting ways. There's like a couple of situations where you'll need to use like Blanca's electricity to like turn on electronics and things like that. But it very much just feels like it is used for you to go get that one collectible on the side of the map that doesn't really matter most of the time. And, and it doesn't really draw attention to those parts of the game that often where you can use those skills and abilities as well. So I think that part is, while cool in concept, isn't really well implemented on. So Kranich makes this world that over time, I think kind of feels stale from like a gameplay perspective. However, I do think they do a very good job from a presentation perspective, um, keeping things feeling lively. There's a lot of different characters around the world and uh, all these characters or well, the majority of them, uh, you can actually fight at any time. So you can go ahead and either just like punch them immediately <laughs> or you can uh, uh, basically talk to them and challenge them and things like that. And each of these fighters, you know, they usually are set based off like a particular characters, things like that, but they have different things about them of how you want to fight them that uh, that can change that makes it so you kind of approach each of these battles differently. So a lot of this is done through your rewards that you receive from people. So it's like, oh, if you use like... A, five throws in this match you'll get like a t-shirt or if you you know do four counters then you'll get like a healing item and things like that so it kind of changes how you play the game based off those rewards that you'll receive from characters um most of the time i will say the the items that you actually receive from these 
aren't really that important, so it feels more like a nice thing to do on top. However, I do think it is a lot of times worth at least exploring and looking at, and, and unfortunately, they do kind of hide it behind a couple menus where you have to either press triangle on a character on the world map to see what you need to do, or pause the game in the middle of a fight, and I just think it would be better to have these things visible at all times so the player can understand, you know, what they sh should be doing in each fight without having to really kind of interrupt um, their, their, uh, uh, the kind of the, the fighting combat part of the game. Um, but you can, you know, essentially fight anyone. This includes just like the pizza guy who sells you pizza and things like that. So it's kind of fun that just random people on the street, uh, suddenly become, you know, uh, uh, different fighters that you can play against and things like that. So all this stuff, like collecting items, getting clothes, uh, you know, selecting different abilities, things like, they, like, like that, they play a pl pretty big role in the world tour mode. So it very, it feels very RPG-ish. And there's actually a lot of like kind of grinding to it as well. There's definitely a part of the game where I just felt like, even if I was good at playing Street Fighter, stat-wise, it just really wouldn't make sense to continue to play without leveling up my character more, just because the damage output I was doing per punch was just so low that it really wasn't worth it for some of the fights that I was going against. So things like getting, uh, you know, buffs and things like that, there's like these permanent stat increase items, uh, you know, leveling up, and also uh, getting clothes that change different parts of your, uh, or different stats that you have and different strengths that you have, like, you know, increased throw damage or increased punch damage, things like that. All that stuff plays a big role in having a character that's capable of, of pushing through that story mode and, and, and challenging characters based off level and things like that. So it's a mode that in a lot of ways, I, I'd say, I guess, feels a little bit more casual because you can do things like grind to get through. You know, it's a very kind of Dragon Quest situation where you don't necessarily need the skill to get through a fight. You just need to be able to get your stats high enough that you can push through. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing um, per se, but it definitely, you know, feels like if you want to sit there and just like buy a bunch of Red Bull in the game and drink that through each fight and heal yourself, you definitely could do that, but it just wouldn't be very effective if you like entirely relied on that. Um, for me specifically, I really started to rely on it towards the back half of the game more than anything. And I think a lot of the reason why I started to rely on it on kind of the back half of the game is because the world tour mode really feels like you know, Street Fighter trying to approach a casual player of, you know, Street Fighter, someone like me, who can do a Hadouken, right? Um, and wants to teach you how to play Street Fighter. It wants to get you invested just one more step into that more, I guess you could say, tournament-style play. You know, not necessarily that you're going to go on and be competitive, but you're more aware of things like when you can do parries, when you can, you know, properly exploit enemies, when can you do combos, what button combinations should you do to do combos, although there is the modern mode that kind of reduces the um, the, the impact of that a little bit. I played just with the classic mode just because that's what I'm used to, basically. So when I played modern mode, I just... I, 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 I got. I just got weirdly hung up on like modern mode. So I just kind of switched away after a while. Um, but you know, it's definitely trying to teach you these things that are deeper level mechanics of street fighter. And I feel like world tour is a hundred percent trying to hit people like me and make them engage with street fighter on a deeper level. I personally don't think it does a particularly good job here. Um, and, you know, I say this again as somebody who's casual, maybe as like a higher level fighting game character or player, you can basically say like, oh, this element they put in was a smart way to implement these lessons and things like that. But I think for me, it's really hard to find the investment 
if you're not looking to go deeper in to Street Fighter, into those abilities. Um, and, and what exactly do I mean by that investment? Uh, it, it's kind of a hard thing to say. I, I, I did a little bit of thinking about this after I played this, and I was thinking specifically about Shenmue 3, weirdly enough, um, which Shenmue 3 is definitely not the Virtua Fighter style fighting game that Shenmue 1 and 2 kind of had built into it in some ways. Um, but it does do, it does rely somewhat on some fighting game elements when it comes to button combinations for certain attack combos and like uh, getting around like parries and things like that, right? Um, and that was something that I kind of willingly did in that game in a way that actually like made me learn some skills and abilities in that game that I probably wouldn't have learned otherwise. And it was all done through the context of like you training at a dojo, essentially. In the world of Shenmue, that makes a lot of sense if you ever played Shenmue. It is very much built around that kind of dojo, um, you know, trainee kind of, uh, uh, I guess, aspect where Ryo's going around the world and he's finding people that can help him better himself so ultimately he can fight the, the game's ultimate villain, Landi, although obviously Shenmue, at least so far, has not quite gotten there yet. And and so I feel like there's a, you know, even though Shenmue's story is not particularly deep, there's definitely a world and narrative investment in you learning how to play the fighting game aspects of Shenmue. And so there are things in Shenmue where you're repeatedly doing something and it is kind of boring in how it's presented to you, but within the context of the story, I think it works well overall. So there's a reasoning in the world and that reasoning in the world helps provide you investment for that game. And I think maybe part of the problem with Street Fighter VI is that the world doesn't feel as, like, authentic here, at least compared to, like, a Shenmue, right? The story and the learning mechanics, I think, feel disconnected in a way, and the things that they try to teach you in this game feel like very obvious tutorials trying to teach you those mechanics rather than feeling like it's about kind of the main character themselves um, kind of bettering themselves. And I feel like the mechanics in the story mode often feel like they have fairly limited use cases. They definitely would be helpful, but I don't think, you know, it's it matters as much when the game's pretty much willing to just let you kind of punch through most of it. The, you know, they definitely block and stuff like that. So it's like you're not just being able to punch away like a beat-em-up. Um, but it's just kind of like you kind of don't need a lot of the mechanics to get through. You can kind of get around them if you really want to. And then, you know, the ability to use stats and items to kind of get over each fight, I think, can also help um, um, kind of or maybe help is maybe the best word in the context we're saying here. But, you know, minimize the need for you as the player to really invest in those things. And part of me wonders if maybe Street Fighter Six focused on the wrong thing with world tour mode where it feels like the story of your character going after your essentially rival Bosch and helping him out and trying to, you know, um, um, help solve his situation that he's in. Um, maybe takes too much priority here. It is a, it is a story about being a path to strength and they focus on that, but I don't think they, find a lot of beats in the story to emphasize that. Um, and 
I think they had the tools there, though, specifically with like the Street Fighter characters. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can learn the styles of the various Street Fighter characters, new and old in this game. And when you talk to them and learn their styles, there's actually some really cool scenes you get with them. I think they're really great scenes that kind of, in some ways, emphasize this like trainer with you know, mentor relationship you have in this very brief moment, right? There's like these scenes with Zangief helping you work out. There's like, you know, Ryu kind of having a, a like sitting like solemnly in the background while you kind of sit there and train in front of him. And in these moments, these short 15 to 20 second moments, I feel like it does a really good job of emphasizing those connections with those characters. But I feel like once you get out of that scene, that connection more or less disappears. Now, there are ways you can interact with those characters further, and as you use their style, uh, more and more things unlock with them. Um, usually, it comes down to like getting a little execute bit of dialogue. There's a lot of like I, I specifically used Ryu the most just because Ryu's like you know Street Fighter man, right? The Hadouken. I want to do the Hadouken, right? Um, and he has like some really fun dialogue with the shrine maiden that's like helping maintain the place he's at. There's like some fun dialogue with his relationship with Ken that like as somebody who does not play Street Fighter, I don't know anything about what Ryu and Ken know about each other and things like that. So like it's like really fun, like in some ways, ways that like Ken takes care of Ryu in ways that Ryu needs to you know, needs help with staying connected with the world or, or doing things like, you know, entering tournaments and traveling and things like that. Right. And, and so there's like some really fun stuff like that. And, but I just don't feel like you ever, the A, that stuff just is kind of like there as text. And it, and I don't really feel like they ever kind of make that connection with you and that character ever again, in a way that feels meaningful. It like, doesn't feel like your relationship with these characters matter after that cutscene, which I think is a little sad. Um, and, and I think that there would have been some really cool, like, um, I guess like I, I maybe I would have felt more invested in learning a character's moveset if learning their character, that character's moveset was a part of the story of world tour mode. Now, I think it's a little silly for me to maybe, I don't know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm criticizing it that much. I, I feel like it is a cute, fun mode in a lot of ways, but I feel like it, it doesn't really solve maybe what I would think would be its goal in a lot of ways. I, I assume that's what its goal is to bring in a more casual user and teach them these things, but I think it has a hard time figuring out how to invest that player. But, you know, it is just kind of one mode of this bigger Street Fighter game. Obviously, there's the competitive scene with Street Fighter. And I, I really can't say anything about that. I played a brief amount of online, but not nearly enough for there to be anything, you know. I'm like, yeah, there's some new characters and things like that. But I have no no real say in, like, what that means. But for the World Tour mode specific, I think I just was the, probably the right person for that mode. And I think in a lot of ways, um, it, it definitely uh, appealed to me in the ways that I was hoping it would appeal to me. Maybe a little bit long, considering what the reality of what that thing is. But I just think that it would have been, um, I think there's just ways that thing could have been a bit more engaging to bring you into that game a bit more and, and make the learning process be a part of that story. And I feel like World Tour Mode doesn't really have that. So I'm really hopeful that the next Street Fighter explores um, something like the World Tour Mode a bit more. 
uh, in depth and kind of rethinks how that works. Um, but you know, at the same time as, as a bonus mode in what is essentially a fighting game, I don't, I don't think you can expect too much. So, you know, I definitely think it's like a, a smash brothers brawl subspace emissary situation where it's like, this is a cool, cute thing, but maybe don't spend $60 to, <laughs> to experience this, um, thing. So yeah, anyways, street fighter six, pretty cool overall. I have nothing bad to say about it. I think as far as I can tell, Everyone seems to really think it's a solid video game as is. So I think that that part has been very um, um, good for the community of people. I think people have really enjoyed the new characters and things like that. I've seen a lot of love for characters like Luke and things like that online. So I think I think it's been received about as well as it could be received when it comes to, you know, being a Street Fighter game first and foremost. And I think after Street Fighter V kind of being a little bit of a, I don't know if I would say, you know, it wasn't really a disappointment, but I don't think it really had the impact that people want Street Fighter to have. I think after that, um, it, it makes sense that, um, or I, I guess it's good that that Street Fighter finally has has that kind of big win again. That feels like a very Street Fighter Four kind of big win uh, uh, again, so... Anyways, that's it for Street Fighter VI. Um, I'll probably play it a little bit more online, um, just as my friends asked me to, but I, don't, I think I'm pretty good. I'm, I don't think I need anything else from that game at this point. So um, maybe they'll add some additional story content. There's some weird things about the end of that game that I, I kind of like and dislike, so um, I won't get into it too much. But it's a weird ending, um, and it does leave itself... To like, it feels like it could be expanded upon either within Street Fighter Five or Six or, or um, within something in the future. Although it's one of those weird th situations where like the main characters like is a creative character, right? And so the relationship your main character has with Bosch, essentially the main character of this game, um, of the story mode, I should say, um, is. It is a relationship between those two characters, so you can't really follow up on that in future releases. It's like, like why I say like Sword Art Online's Itsuki and from Fatal Bullet is a character that will probably never have any meaningful story again, just because in the case of in the case of Itsuki, his obsession is with you, um, and so like where he goes storyline from there, other than just having new obsessions with new characters, I don't really know. Um, in, in the case of Bosch, there could I, I could definitely see a situation where they're like, oh. Remember, remember Guy in previous game? He was cool guy. Or sorry, we don't know what gender you are. Remember, there was I had a trainer. I had a partner in the last uh, uh, long ago, and they taught me a lot about finding strength. That, that would be the, the connection I would expect. So, so yeah. Um, before we get into news, we're going to go into Jillian's corner here. Uh, Jillian asks the question. Well, Jillian supports us on, pa on not Patreon. You I mean, she did support us on Patreon when we were on Patreon. Supports us on Kofi. Um, at this moment, she is the only one asking questions. Though, if you do want to ask questions, let me know through Kofi or through Twitter or something. I don't know. Just let me know. Figure out, figure it out. <laughs> you, you can. I'm on the internet. You can talk to me, uh, and I'd be happy to to look into seeing if I can implement something like that. But for now, Jillian is our sole question asker, and Jillian asks the question: What video games have made you cry? Um, one thing you, if you don't know about me, I, I'm I'm pretty sure I mentioned this on the podcast at least a handful of times, but maybe not recently. Um, I'm I'm a little little crybaby boy when it comes to um um media and things like that. Like I think there's a lot of things about um, music and, uh, voice acting and things like that, that can be triggers for me to uh, cry really easily. 
Um, and sometimes I can be in scenes that I just don't think are sad very much. I've, I've been sitting through movies that I'm just completely disinterested in before and um, have not felt anything yet. I still cry because just like the right elements kind of come together. Well, I don't uh, cry is the right word, but teary eyed, right? Um, the game that I always think about that, that this happened to me with was Fragile Dreams. There's a scene in Fragile Dreams where someone dies and... At the time, I remember just not really caring. I, I, I did not think that the character investment was strong. However, there were certain things about that scene that basically triggered me to 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 tear up and things like that. So um, I'm not going to talk about those, but that is just like just know that like it does not take much to get me to to cry in games. But uh, one of the first ones I think for me was Majora's Mask. Um, the what was it? The um, cafe and uh, what's her name anna or something like that the 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 marriage quest or whatever with the uh the two characters uh that are like basically getting married as they're dying <laughs> i don't know if married as they're dying but like you know coming back together as they're dying kind of thing and that that made me tear up a little bit uh near is a game that full was full of moments that made me tear up a lot buddy mission bond as well buddy mission bond uh, was a lot so there's actually i don't know if i talk about this on the podcast but Buddy Mission Bond, something got in my eye at some point. So I was I was tearing up really bad. Um, and I don't know what got in my eye, but every time I would tear up, it would irritate my eye significantly. So I had to stop playing Buddy Mission Bond at times because my eye was hurting so much from whatever it was that was irritating it. And eventually it got flushed out or whatever, but there was like a, a night or two where like I had to stop playing the game because every time I got teared up towards the end of the game, I was just like, oh, my eye burns so much. <laughs> so I had to stop. Um, I talked about on the podcast before, but um, little kids games sometimes can get me to tear up a little bit. Surprise Magic Pen is the one that I always talk about the ending of that game. Um, I don't ever know. Like, I like I don't know if I should say the like nobody in here has played Surprise Magic Pen. Probably, I'm gonna guess nobody listening to me has played Surprise Magic Pen. So it's like, should I spoil it? Nobody's probably gonna listen to me play Surprise or play Surprise Magic Pen. Nobody's probably ever going to play Surprise Magic Pen. Is what I'm trying to say. And so like, it probably doesn't matter. But um, I've talked about it in the past before. But there's a very cute scene at the end of the game because. Now, I will say I, I did not I was not able to read anything in that game. So a lot of what I took from that game was a lot of assumptions, right? You just kind of read the room of what's happening. And and I was really cute, I think, at kind of like um what happens at the end with your main character because more or less I guess you could say they die. Um they, they didn't really die, but they they're in a situation where they were no longer existing and like the the little community's reaction to that and like how they dealt with that problem was super cute. So, um, but yeah, it made me tear up a lot. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else like off the top of my head, but Surprise Magic Pen and Buddy Mission Bond are definitely the big, more recent ones. Uh, Nier is kind of the long-term one, I feel like. And the Majora's Mask is the first one I really remember. So, so I think that's probably a good rounded number of games. So again, thank you again, Jillian, for your question. We will have another question next week assuming we have time to talk about it. Let's get into the game news. Hello, game news. Um, we're going to go from more normal game stories and then transition into mobile and then transition into the NFT nightmare of this week. So um, I will, I will, I'll bring you down that hole with me. Um, so uh, first story here, AnyCreates, weirdly enough, announced yet another video game. This is a strange one. Johanne the Par Parlian blaze in the deep blue um this is another one of their kind of like castlevania looking games um you know how castlevania they are is 
up for debate. There's a lot of problems with Grim Guardians, Gal Guardians, where people thought it was going to be like a Metroidvania game, but it like wasn't really. I mean, they only define them as action games, really. Um, and, you know, what an action game... Like, genres between regions vary and things like that, right? They don't call games Metroidvanias in Japan. I think search action is the, the, the traditional term, and they don't even call it search action. So, you know, it is something that um, is in that style, but I'm going to take a guess probably is a little bit closer to Gal Guardians uh, or Grim Guardians or or if you played the Curse of the Moon games where it's like there's kind of like some branching paths, but it's really linear for the most part. You know, I have not played Grim or Gal Guardians yet. So I can't really speak to that. Um, but uh, apparently this is a Love Live game. A Yohane, I think, is a Love Live character. It does not say Love Live on the logo for the game. So I just watched this trailer. I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, it, it just kind of looks a little plain in a weird way. Um, so it's like, these characters look like new characters I've never seen before. But they kind of look a little straightforward. But it's probably because they're Love Live characters. So, um, and like... So if you know what Love Live is, like an idol game, right? And so, like, when I think of idol game, I'm thinking of, like, you know, characters on stage singing and stuff like that. So I'm like, why is this, like, a Castlevania dungeon crawler kind of go around and kill demons kind of thing? And apparently, Johanne is, like, um, uh, I guess, I, like, I guess, I don't know, again, I don't know anything about Love Live. I think she, like, fantasizes about being a demon hunter or something like that. So I think this is kind of, like, the execution of that. So when I saw this before I knew about it being Love Live, I kind of looked at it and I was like, this just kind of looks a little plain. It's weird that they're making this and it like has no real, the only real personality is that it feels like, you know, it's called Blaze in the Deep Blue and it seems like it's kind of has an underwater theme to it, which, you know, <laughs> we have underwater themes that stuff to talk about on this podcast, but we won't get into that right now. Um, we have had a history of underwater theme games uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, anyways, but um, it, it, it kind of focuses on that, but it doesn't really seem to do anything with it. Um, as far as I can tell from afar, it's just kind of an aesthetic thing. Um, so I really was just questioning, like, what was this game doing? There's a crafting system, um, which I don't know of any Castlevania that really focuses on the crafting system, or at least the, you know, kind of more traditional Egovania-style games, right? The, the the DS and GBA games. But apparently the original DS, uh, Donosaro, had some kind of crafting system in there, my friend noted to me. But I, I just don't remember it being, like, important. So if if they really emphasize crafting, I could see that being, like, maybe slightly interesting. But, you know, crafting systems are in so many games, so, like, you'd really have to do a lot to really interest me. So at this point, my feeling, I think, is a little indifferent about it, um, which, you know, given that I still have to play Grim, Gal, Guardians, whatever you want to call it, um, not exactly, uh, worried about that per se, just, you know, I just don't know when I'll get to this. It comes out in November, so it's coming out fairly soon, but I think I would rather go and play Blaster Master Zero at this point, which, you know, I have the trilogy for that, so, like, I just don't know when I'll get to this, um, but it is one of the first any Create games in a long time that I've looked at and have felt, well, maybe, like, Gunvolt Luminous Avenger X2. I kind of looked at it and was like, eh, okay, um, but Gunvolt games came out, you know, well, I don't know, like, Gunvolt X2 was in a weird situation, but, like, Gunvolt games were coming out in a rare enough pace, generally, I was kind of okay with it, but then Gunvolt 3 came out, like, almost within six months, and then also Kogan, which is not really a Gunvolt game, but it feels very Gunvolt-inspired, and also is kind of, like, officially sanctioned by NT Creates in some ways, um, also was just kind of, like, came out in that same window, so it was, just, it was just a lot of stuff that felt very similar that came out around the same time, so... So yeah, I don't know. But um, I guess the one thing I think I'm interested in at this point, knowing it's a Love Live game now, is how does the Love Live elements of that game impact it, right? 
And I think the boring answer for that is, you know, it's just a way to interact with these characters in unique ways, which I would say, I say boring when I say that in a, not in a way that I'm saying that like it's, it would be boring, but you know, I kind of expect that if you're going to make an anime game, I usually expect it's going to focus on character interactions and you kind of like enjoying those extra character interactions. Right. And like, like it's, it, it is a supplemental thing to what love live actually is. But I guess like the thing that I would prefer is like something that feels a little more like the Love Live franchise in terms of the execution of its gameplay. And I'm, I'm having a hard time really seeing that right now. Um, so, you know, I could be wrong. We'll have to see. Maybe it'll come out and be interesting. But uh, at the moment, I'm just kind of, I'm a little lost at what this is. But I think as a Love Life, like, essentially, you know, spinoff game, um, it's a really weird and cool thing to do. Um, and I think for Love Life fans, it's probably cool if you, you know, like any creates and like that kind of, you know, Castlevania look and feel and I, I I it sounds like Johanna is a popular character so I'm guessing that's another thing as well so anyways that being said um I have no real strong feelings right at this time but uh I'm looking forward to seeing more and uh hopefully it being interesting but November is uh not too far away so we'll, we'll see um but you know I'll I, by the t like I don't even know if I'll play Grim Gal Guardians by them or anything like that by then so um, we have another anime game here. Uh, this one's been announced for a while, apparently. I just think this is the first time I've heard about it. Um, it is a new Battle Royale game under the My Hero Academia uh, brand. Um, so I didn't know what this was. It was. I think it's called like My Hero Academia Ultra Rumble or something like that. Um, and apparently there's a closed beta test last year for it. Um, but uh, they, they recently did an open beta test in the last like month or so. And they announced it's coming out this fall. So I looked at some gameplay for this thing. Um, it's kind of interesting, actually. So, you know, My Hero Academia is, I guess we call it like Shonen or something like that. Like, it, it is very much that kind of anime where like there are kids with superpowers and each character has their own unique superpower that probably has story and lore behind it, right? Um, and so it's very much built around that kind of thing. And there's been some like fighting games in the past and stuff, which, you know, look okay. Um, but you know, I'm not big into arena. Well, I'm okay with arena fighters, fighters, but the Bandai Namco anime arena fighter just doesn't really jump out to me very much. Um, so what's interesting about this game as a battle royale game though, is it seems to de-emphasize random equipment. So if you don't know, when you play a battle royale game, you know, you drop down, there's a hundred players landing on the field and typically, typically you work with what you find on the ground. So it's like, I found a shotgun and a sniper rifle. And you can either use those things so you find something you prefer, or you can lean into that and say, this is my play style, and I'm gonna focus on upgrading these parts. But you know, you kind of have to be flexible, right? Because if you find a bunch of high-level upgrade parts for a different type of gun, you really probably want to abandon one of those guns and switch over to that, right? So, so it's a game that you're you're trying to be flexible with what you get. And then so different games have different levels of you know execution of that. A game like you know PUBG, it is solely reliant on what you find on the ground, um, versus like. Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier, you have a class and that class changes like certain things you focus on or uh, Apex Legends, you have characters with like abilities and things like that that they can use. So there's things that you can kind of like formal or like standardize and, and kind of work that in your play style. But as far as I can tell, My Hero Academia removes most of the loot 
And so you are playing this character with their powers. And how that works is that you find cards on the ground and those cards level up different abilities you have. So there's like three main abilities it looks like. And when you level them up, it increases, it seems like the power, maybe the effects, I, I don't know for sure, but it like, like maybe the effects. And then also I think it increases like the amount of stock you could use. I, I'm trying to remember this, like just based off some gameplay I saw, I did not write down notes or anything. So it's just, just my brain vomiting out information back at me right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because you, you, you kind of are predefining your play style before you even land. And there are elements with like, you know, if you get a bunch of level ups for one ability, you clearly want to, uh, you know, focus on using that ability, right? That makes sense. Um, but, you know, you are kind of working with a limited set of things, so you're going to have a more standardized approach to each round, I think, in some ways. Which, does that break the battle royale? I don't know, honestly. But it seems like it plays pretty well. And because the characters all have, like, different unique abilities, it feels like each character definitely feels um, like they have their own play style you're working with. And, and it kind of allows them to have different levels of mobility and things like that, um, which, you know, I feel like a game like even like Apex Legends um, is less focused on because these characters still have to be balanced in certain ways uh, in terms of like, you know, being similar, uh, like they're still kind of using the same base for every character where My Hero Academia seems to look like each character kind of in some ways radically different. Um, you know, again, very little that I looked at this game, but it just kind of was, it was interesting. And it also has like a very Gundam versus esque stock system. I mentioned earlier, there's like stock to your abilities. So it's like, you'll have like eight laser beams you can shoot. And as you shoot them, it drains down. But then also there's a cooldown that like recovers that stock or whatever. And if you run out of those eight laser beams, you have to wait for your cooldown to restock your things, right? It's kind of that kind of Gundam versus kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it looks kind of cool. Um, do I have time for another Battle Royale? Naraka um, Blade Point, I have not played a lot of, mostly because we already have a lot of multiplayer stuff going on right now, and I just don't have time for yet another multiplayer game at the moment. I'm using that time for other things that I'm doing right now. But um, I, I, I definitely am interested in this game, and uh, if, if it lines up right, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up sitting down and playing it at some point. Don't know if it's free to play or if it's going to be a purchase thing. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I just thought it was interesting. And, uh, I don't know if Bandai Namco is involved with this. Actually, I didn't look at the publisher or if this is a completely different thing. So, but yeah, it looks kind of neat. I never played that Dragon Ball game, like Dragon Ball, the breakers. It's like the, um, one V four, or what's it, what's it called? Asymmetric multiplayer game or something like that. So haven't, haven't played that. Um, still, I don't know if I ever will, but it looks kind of interesting. Um, speaking of Battle Royale stuff, just thought it would be worth mentioning real quick. We talked about Dragon Quest Champions hitting 40 on the Japanese software earnings rank last week. Um, this week it jumped up to five. It was apparently a 500% increase in earnings. So, um, you know, this is still very early. This is week two of this game coming out. Um, but you know, this puts it behind. Let me, let me pull up a li the list and see what it put it behind. But like, you know, pretty big stuff right behind Nikkei. Um, the third one on that list this week is Fate Grand Order. Um, and then let me see if I can machine translate these other ones. Uh, Professional Baseball Spirits A, I think that's a Konami game. And then Uma Musume was the number one uh, game this week. Apparently it was number nine last week. I will say these games shift a lot on this list. I don't know this, like the mobile game market well enough to know what causes these drastic shifts sometimes. Like I forget, there was one that was like really crazy. It jumped up like an insane amount. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Shadowverse jumped from position 239 up to position 48. I don't know. Anyways, interesting stuff. There's a yokai watch game on this list as well. Where was that? 
That was really fascinating. I don't remember there being Yokai Watch game there last time. There was, though, at 37. So, Yokai Watch still surviving, man. So, Yudu Camp, 44. That game, that game launched. Um, we haven't talked about that game, but I really haven't sound, seen a lot about it that I've really wanted to say anything about. A lot of these mobile games I look at and it, I don't like. I have nothing to say about. It. I'm like, oh, okay, it's another anime girl mobile game. So, <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, we'll see if that sticks up there. That, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Um, that would make it, at least in Japan, the highest rated Battle Royale, mobile Battle Royale game. That being said, I don't know if any other Battle Royale games are on this list. <laughs> so, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think Fortnite's big in Japan. I would be curious, like, when Apex Mobile was going on, if that ever ranked high on there. But anyways, we'll follow it a little while. Uh, I don't think we'll follow it forever, but for now, I think it's just kind of interesting to see. Because, like, we were, I was asking the question with Dragon Quest Champions when it came out. I was like, who wants this? apparently enough to get to number four ranking on its second week <laughs> in earnings so so yeah um there's another mobile game i i noticed this week that i i don't know how long it's been announced or anything like that but there's this franchise called Mud love i don't know anything about it somebody uh when i was in japan was telling me about it and apparently it's like mostly a visual novel but then it has kind of like some gameplay elements that are kind of i'm trying to remember what they said this is a while ago and like i did not know i would need this Mud love information in the future I think they mentioned it was kind of like an isometric um, mech game or something like that. Kind of like very much PC, like old helicopter shooter things. I don't know if that's true. That's just like what my brain's feeding me at this moment. So if you're like, that's not Muvlov at all, please understand. <laughs> um, but anyway, so th there's actually a new Muvlov mobile game. Um, it reminds me a little bit of like those vampire survivor games or whatever it's called, where it's like, it's kind of like an auto like game where you kind of move a character around and they auto attack things there are abilities you trigger and things like that and basically it looks like there's a bunch of mechs that you kind of like have around your character that also attack and things like that so it's called Muv love dimensions i don't think it's out yet um but it actually looks like pretty decent i think i think as somebody who does not play those games or those mobile games um you know i'm not saying that they're good it's gonna be successful or it's gonna be good um i just kind of looked at it, i was like oh this actually looks okay um you know it, it looks pretty okay anyways all that stuff we're about to go into the crypto NFT stuff. If you're leaving at this time, I understand. Like I said, it's kind of crazy. I would recommend you stick around because there's some crazy stuff in here. Um, but uh, if you are leaving, just as a heads up, uh, the Dragon Quest... Um, gosh, what's this game called? Crossblades arcade game video went up on the One Control Port Plus channel. So go check that out. That was uh, alongside uh, last week before that, I had the Chase Chase Jokers video go out. So if you're interested in Japanese arcade games, those two videos are up on the secondary channel. Go check those out because I will not be able to make another Japanese arcade game video in a very long time because I will not be going back to Japan anytime this year probably so <laughs> so yeah i have not really thought about future japan trip plans a little flies flying in my face um but anyways just as a heads up that stuff is out there and ready for you to consume if you want to on that secondary channel um so crypto stuff so we talked about an event that happened last week um it, i don't know for sure i don't know anything about crypto nft stuff so like uh, but it, it seems there is a Series of events happening in Japan right now. I think that's what's happening. So the one particular event that came up is uh, IVS Crypto 2023. It was in Kyoto. Um, and in some ways, it feels like an extension of the event we talked about last week where we had um, Square Enix, uh, Sega, and Konami commenting, commenting on their kind of NFT 
cryptocurrency plans, right? And I think, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I think what's interesting about those things is, you know, we asked the question of why is Square Enix doing this? Why is Sega doing this? Why is Konami doing this? And so it's interesting to see what their thoughts and reasonings are behind things. Um, and it was like, I think what was fascinating about last week was Konami basically saying, we don't have a lot of confidence, so we're just watching to see what happens, basically. Um, I should be very clear, uh, as far as I can tell, these games are, are these stories not being, like, officially translated, really, so I'm using machine translation, so just be clear that, like, the things I'm reading to you and stuff may not be entirely accurate, um, but I do think they're interesting insights to look at, at the very least. Um, so the first story here is actually a little plain, but was was kind of fascinating. Or I guess, I don't know if plain is. It depends on what you're interested in listening to this podcast, I think, because some people I don't think will care. But uh, other people, I think, will be like, why? And I think that's my feeling coming away from this. But um, So June Ikeda, executive officer of Bandai Namco, gave a talk um, along with, or was was on a part of a panel, I should say. He was a part of a panel with a few other people. We'll get into some of those other people here in a little bit. But um, what's kind of interesting is that this actually talked less about games and more about the anime industry. So um, Bandai Namco apparently has uh, created like a fund for crypto NFT, or I guess Web3 companies is what they're specifically um, looking for with their fund. It's called the 021 Fund. I don't know what that means, but there's a whole website with it. Most of the team members on that website seem to be Japanese, but there are some U.S. and European partners as well. Um, or sorry, I should say Bandai Namco staff uh, that are a part of there. And like the, the, the kind of mission statement on there is like, oh, we're connecting the physical to digital world or something like that, which is kind of, I, in a lot of ways, kind of a meaningless statement you can say about a lot of, <laughs> a lot of technologies out there, right? Um, but was interesting part of what they talked about a little bit was um, they felt like they shouldn't use traditional IPs when doing Web3 investment. Um, we talked a little bit last week how Konami felt burned by, or maybe not burned, but they, they felt the negative reaction that there was to the Castlevania NFTs that came out. And his explanations for this is kind of strange, where it's like, basically, he said this negative feeling about these IPs is because these IPs are close to users who are Web2 users. And I guess technically most of us here are Web2 users, including myself. <laughs> so they like bracketed off most of the probably internet population into a weird fenced area, apparently. I don't know if that's a common thing, but this is something that seemed to be being said here. Um, and then so what his kind of stance was, was that they need to bring Web3 tech closer to web two situ like institutions to make it more clear what things like NFT and cryptocurrencies are for and things like that. So I think you're, you're looking very much at like a square Enix kind of onboarding thing in, in some ways. Um, but the, the two other participants, which were, you know, more directly invested in crypto and NFT stuff seem to basically disagree and say that they need to focus on being more web three and focus more on what, um, what makes their industry special. Now, where this gets really strange, Bandai Namco Man is basically off this conversation for the most part. Beyond, he, he more or less kind of agrees to disagree by the end of this. Um, but what was, there's another guy that was on this panel from a company called Double Jump Tokyo. If you don't know this guy, um, Double Jump, the company, is actually, uh, in our case, pretty significant because they do the NFT games for Sega and they do the NFT games for uh, Square Enix. Or they've done NFT games for them. I think they're the Million Arthur team or the one working on the Million Arthur game. And they're also working on another Sega NFT game, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, but uh, essentially, um, he went into this like 
talk about Dojin stuff. Interesting. So if you know, we are big into Dojin stuff here. And so like he was talking about how he kind of wants Web3 to be integrated in the Dojin space. So, you know, these kind of small scale um, uh, independent creators, essentially making, you know, independent things. Um, and it seemed like what his thought was, was that you would be able to basically invest in like Dogen creation. So the initial person would create like create the IP and then everyone else would be stakeholders. There are 30 billion ways you can do this otherwise that is not NFTs or crypto. I'm not sitting here saying that this is a unique or interesting thing, but it was interesting that his argument was really focused on the Dogen space of all things, because I would imagine that's not like a huge, huge market, especially when you start talking to like Bandai Namco, right? And he was talking about like collecting digital figures, which um, is actually kind of relevant to Bandai Namco because Bandai Namco through their Gundam super game, right? That they're trying to do or super metaverse thing. They're like, oh, you're going to buy digital models of your Gunpla and then be able to move them around in like a 3D space and like pose them. And, and I looked up digital figures, which apparently is a thing. And there are like various different like 3D figures you can basically, if you ever play like 3DS AR games, it's basically that again. Not particularly new technology here, but, but you know, that was kind of like kind of what he's talking about. Like he's into collecting digital figures and kind of wanted to involve it in that space. And then also like wanted to, to get it involved for like Dogen works and things like that. So it was just, you know, I, I don't think for me personally, when I look at this, I don't think that means anything. I think it is somebody trying to find a use case for this technology. And I think that's my general impression of NFTs and crypto is trying to find a use case. And nobody's really found that strong use cases in most situations that, you know, we, the Web2 users, <laughs> would normally see, right? But so so it's just kind of interesting that they, that was the route he kind of took, was talking about Dogen and Fanworks and how, he, how you can support that industry more officially, it sounds like, because, you know, technically the fan work scene is not really an officially supported thing, but there comes into like things like, you know, well, there are original IPs within the Dogen space, but when it comes to fan works, you know, companies own the licenses and, you know, exactly what that means and, and what legally people are able to do is kind of a hard thing. I don't really know much about, right. Um, but you know, people go and sell books with official characters in there, right. But you know, they're, they're fan works more than anything. So they're definitely not, you know, canon material or anything like that. They're not sanctioned by the company maybe. So, um, yeah, it was just like an interesting little talk that was going on in this like weird disagreement between Bandai Namco and this like fairly major partner in, in that space for game companies. Um, but what got even weirder is there's this game that got announced during this event called Coin Musume. Um, and it is a cryptocurrency uh, coin girl gotcha thing. It's a coin idol game, I guess you could call it. And um, there's a song, <laughs> a theme song for this game. And it seems to be about, A, this girl talking about love and being in love with you or something. And then B, it does mention like things like chain and bit, bit, bit and stuff like that. Um, it's not translated in English, I don't think. Um, but the webpage itself is translated in English. And I need to tell you about the story of this game because it it is something. <laughs> um, this is, again, official translation here that they have provided. Coin Musume Academy, an all-girls school, was established five years ago. The students studied investment and finance to make a world a more liberated place. However, with the collapse of the entire crypto market, 
the academy faced the threat of closure. In the face of adversity, a decision was made by the academy to create the ultimate cryptocurrency idol unit through a vote aiming to regain popularity by conveying the wonders of cryptocurrency to the people once again. The future they envision to decide which cryptocurrency idol will become the dominant currency in the world all depends on your production and your vote, which if you don't know with crypto stuff, like being a stakeholder basically means you have some say in the company. Like it's very, very kind of investor board kind of thing, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, was that the end of the future they envision to decide the crypto will become dominant? Well, kind of, okay, all depends on your product. Yeah, so that's the end of it. <laughs> so, I mean, I think everyone's really aware, but like the cryptocurrency space has tumbled essentially at this point, or at least has dropped quite a bit. So it's... <laughs> It's almost this very like Sega story of of like you know where Sega was like we're down the evil company PlayStation's coming for us <laughs> and let's make a video game about us failing in the market. Um, which you know I will say there are people who resonate with that and like I would imagine if you're like a real hard cryptocurrency believer, there's probably some fun in that, right? You're taking kind of a dire situation, maybe even more dire than like a Sega fan in the 2000s, right? Because you've invested money into this and depending on how much you invested, you know, there might be problems going on. But, you know, it, it is it is very much that feeling, I think. And PCFX actually has a similar thing with like Megami Paradise 2 where like polygons are coming to destroy the world and things like that, right? So like, I don't want to sit there and like make fun of this fact, but it's so bizarre to see like something that's like a very strange thing in the video game space already get formalized into this crypto game that in the same way, I don't know, it's kind of a crazy thing. And like, I kind of love that it exists. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I mean, here's the problem that with all NFT games at this point, I think is that again, I don't want to disparage auto battlers, auto RPGs or auto battlers, auto RPGs that I like. But again, it really comes kind of comes down to pretty, um, I don't want to say cheap looking games, but you know, they, they often are using kind of just static graphics and then the crypto, like crypto network is what handles the combat. But because stuff with that, like you can't really do more traditional games, right? And so, like, and also just the budget auto RPGs and things like that are cheaper. So they're just kind of doing that thing as far as I can tell. They have a white paper on their website. I skimmed it briefly, so I, I did not sit there and, like, well-research this. But it seems like kind of like a card game thing. You pick five cards, they auto-battle other people, and then uh, somehow that makes the value go up. Who knows? I don't know. That's not important. <laughs> so, anyways... That was just a crazy thing. Um, there's a few other games I got announced here as well that are crypto games. Um, just to note, most of these aren't really noteworthy. It's more noteworthy of who's involved in these. One is that DMM Games. Uh, I don't know if they have previously involved in any kind of blockchain games, but they announced a game called Kamiyagura. Uh, I did not find anything about this, really. The thing to note about DMM Games is that DMM Games does have a lot of 18-plus um gotcha games so they have like mobile style games but 18 plus style games so if you want horny gotcha games dmm games is a place for that um i could not find any information about whether or not that was actually what this game was going to be so it's, i'm kind of curious like where that kind of ends up in that space if only because i have a curiosity in like um horny gotcha games in general that's it's a space i have not really explored 
And um, I only recently started talking to somebody that actually like plays one of those games actively, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if it was specifically on DMM games, but it was like on another platform, I think. So um, there, there's just kind of like this interesting aspect of just like, and I, I think I felt this way with like visual novels and things like that before. We're like, I'm here to play this thing for the game. Like, and then like also there's this horny aspect where it's like, okay, like to me, those games, those things are like very separate in a lot of ways. So like for people who are playing games, to indulge in the horniness in a very, you know, human way, maybe is the better way to put it, versus, like, me, where I'm just, like, thinking about it way too hard, right? Um, you know, I, I think uh, it's it's kind of a weird line that I would like to understand how those blur a little bit more. Um, Sega uh, finally showed off the uh, Sengoku Kushi Tyson game. They've announced this game in the past. We are aware of this coming. If you don't know, Sengoku Kushi Tyson is a Japanese arcade game. There's a DS version that came out, but as far as I'm aware, it is only released in Japan. I don't think there's an English version. Maybe it released in some other Asia territories with English. I don't know. But I, I personally have never seen that game with English text in my eyes. However... <laughs> The crypto game will be in English. Uh, it's getting called Battle of the Three Kingdoms. Um, and kind of same thing with, uh, with uh, what's it called? Uh, Coin Musume, uh, auto RPGs with cards kind of thing. Kind of a continued trend here. Um, so it doesn't look like anything particularly interesting. You know, some nice art. But I, the art, as far as I'm aware, could have be pulled straight from the games that already exist. I don't know for sure. So... Um, I didn't really think anything of it from what I saw. So, um, but you know, that's Sega, you know, officially kind of dipping their toes in that space. Previously, we talked about last week, they did say the super game they're working on is going to be a part of the blockchain as well. Um, we'll see if that actually survives. That thing is not coming out till I think 2025, if it, you know, reaches what their, their planned schedule was. Right. And there, I think there's a lot of time for them to reconsider that and reposition depending on what the market thinks about that kind of stuff. You know, the web three, the Web3 users on the internet is a significantly smaller chunk than, you know, us Web2 users. <laughs> if you're going to draw that line, Bandai Namco, I'm going to use it. <laughs> um, but there was one game there that was actually did catch my eye. Um, again, nothing specifically about this game that looks that interesting. It's just the fact that it is a crypto game that tries to do something that is more than an auto RPG. Um, and that is, uh, Delith Last Memories. Uh, if that Delith name sounds familiar, Delith RPG is apparently some mobile game that already exists. It's kind of like a, uh, online MMO style game, but it's kind of like turn-based, um, things like that. Um, so this game, again, through machine translation, so I don't know how accurate this stuff is, but it seems like this new thing is a crypto game and the goal seems to be to create a more normal modern style game within the crypto space. Um, and so it, they are saying it's going to have randomized dungeons. It's going to have hack and slash style gameplay. Um, and, you know, from from the one screenshot they provided, it looks kind of like a normal RPG. I mean, there was kind of like a command bar. So it makes me think that maybe it's not hack and slash, but that was the text that kind of came through. Um, and um, so, yeah, they're trying to aim to provide like a more full game experience in that space. So, um, you know, if they can figure that out, good on them. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, we'll see. Uh, it's just it caught my eye because it's the first game I've seen really try to do that within that space. That isn't just like an auto RPG. Um, so, yeah. So. It was just kind of a kind of a weird event, um, and there actually is a a whole like hour long press event thing that they did that was, as far as I can tell, largely in English, and like it is Japanese pe people speaking in English. I will say, 
So it is, it is maybe not the clearest thing at times. Uh, but you know, I will say good on them. Like I can't speak any fucking Japanese. So like, what do I know? Um, but, but you know, it is interesting that that, that was like, the, it seemed like English was the official language of this event or whatever, but like, it seemed like most people there were Japanese. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. So I haven't watched that yet, but I think I will sit down and watch through that. But it's a lot of this kind of stuff. They, they had the, uh, singers for the theme song for coin Musume. Come on. Uh, I'll link that theme song for coin Musume cause it is a song. <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. It was just kind of a fascinating thing to stare into. Um, and see all this stuff kind of put together. Um, again, I have no real faith in that market. Uh, I do still stand by that. Like if somebody comes along and makes something that makes sense, I'm all for them doing something that makes sense. But like none of these things have reached, like reached me a web two user and said, and said like, this is going to provide some benefit with a new technology. This seems like applying a new technology to um, fix problems that in a lot of ways have already been solved, right? Um, and maybe, I, I mean, again, I don't know anything about this stuff. Maybe those are steps that need to happen, right? Um, but uh, I, I don't necessarily think I have any real confidence in the near future. Um, I think, I forget who said it. Somewhere in this event, somebody said that they thought, like, maybe it was Bandai Namco, said that three to five years, Web3 users would be, would be a significant market. So we'll see if they uh, prove me wrong. I'm not going to claim to be smart about any of that stuff. So that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. Hopefully no NFT news next week. <laughs> I think it's interesting stuff to look at. Um, so that's why he keeps coming up. Otherwise I wouldn't mention it, but yeah. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks for coming. OneTroller.com is the website. PCFX stuff still kind of coming along. We could hit a little bit like a hitch with it, but um, we should be able to get that out here fairly soon. I'm going to hope to work on a script this weekend. I'm already recording this on a Friday night, so you're hearing this Monday. Um, hopefully I did something. I have a, I had a video that I recorded that was actually like a, a more like off-the-cuff video that was actually incredibly enjoyable, um, but I want to keep it kind of secret. So I am uh, I can't post that video right now because it relies on another video being out, and that is a scripted video. So I'm going to try to get that scripted video scripted in the first place. Um, I'm not giving up on that other Xeno video, by the way. It's just, it's just not something I'm focusing on at this very second, but, um, that is something that I still feel good about and want to get done. This other video is hopefully a short video, um, and something I can put together without too much fuss. So that's the big thing. So that's it for this week though. Thank you guys so much for coming. OneControlWorld.com is the website. We're going to be back next week. Uh, I think I'm going to maybe do another like talk over Dragon Mark for Death. We wrapped that up in our multiplayer group. And the last time I talked about Dragon Mark for Death was years ago. And I did like a quick play for it. So I think it's worth maybe talking about on the podcast again, especially since I played it with four players. So it might be more of a full rundown of Dragon Mark for Death again, but we'll see if I remember that next week. So yeah um otherwise i'm poking away at some different games right now so we'll be talking about those sometime in the future here and then uh um working away at some videos and, and some podcasts and so hopefully there will be things you'll be able to see sooner rather than later um, but some of them are going to be quite a bit later unfortunately so i'll get them to you as soon as it makes sense and as soon as i really can thank you guys so much for coming hope you guys have a great week bye